This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Have you ever heard somebody try to interpret a Bible passage and do it badly? Ugh, I have witnessed this phenomenon a number of times over the years, whether it's in a Sunday school class or a Bible study. Someone will take a Bible verse or passage, wrench it out of context, dilute its real meaning or add meaning that isn't there, and then misinterpret what the passage really means, often with great sincerity. It happens all too frequently because many Christians today, while very well-meaning, just aren't properly instructed on how to interpret Scripture. And yet this science of interpreting the Bible known as hermeneutics is vitally important. 2 Timothy 2.15 reminds us, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The question is, how can Christians understand and obey God's word if we don't know how to handle the word of truth rightly? Well, today I'm excited to explore this critical topic with author and speaker Justin Peters. Justin is founder of Justin Peters Ministries, a worldwide expository preaching and teaching ministry that teaches the sufficiency of God's word and exposes the false teachings of the prosperity, health, and wealth gospel. But Justin is also great on a number of other subjects, including this one of hermeneutics, which he offers as a seminar. And we are just delighted to welcome him to the show. Justin, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Janet, I am doing very, very well. It's an honor to be on your program. Thank you so much for the invitation. Oh, it is a delight to have you here, Justin. Hermeneutics is one of those words that sometimes makes people balk, I think. Uh, You know, that's something pastors and theologians handle. That's a big word. I'm just a simple Christian. What would you say is the importance of hermeneutics for the simple Christian, just the layman in the pew? Sure, Janet. Uh, Hermeneutics is derived from the Greek word hermeneo. You can kind of hear it uh, derived from that. And it simply means to interpret to interpret scripture. What is your hermeneutical grid? Maybe some of our listeners have heard that term before, hermeneutical grid. And it is basically how we interpret scripture. Uh, and every professing believer has some level of hermeneutics, even if they don't know what the word means. Uh, it, the question is, do you have good hermeneutics or bad hermeneutics? It's kind of, yeah. kind of like the Wizard of Oz. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? <laughs> <All right. laughs> you know, how do you interpret Scripture? Um, what's your hermeneutical grid? Do you interpret Scripture the way in which uh, it is designed to be interpreted, uh, the right way to handle Scripture? In fact, the verse that you just read, Second Timothy 2.15 uh, be diligent to present yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling. And that that word right there in the Greek is the word orthotomeo, and it literally means to cut it straight with God's Word. Mm. And that's what we are supposed to do. We are to cut it straight with God's Word, because if you interpret Scripture wrongly, then the conclusions to which you come will be wrong, and that means that your understanding of God is wrong. Yes. And so it is vitally, vitally important to have a, a good working knowledge of some of the basics of this discipline 
that we call hermeneutics. Well, that's so true. And yet you can almost hear some of the questions coming. I'm sure you've heard these questions a lot where where people will say, how can there be one right way to interpret scripture? We have so many different churches and denominations. How do we know who's right? How do we begin to answer that question that just because there are lots of ways to interpret scripture, that the necessary conclusion is there's no one right way? Yeah, well... I know, and people say that a lot, except there is one right way. And uh, I, I tell people often that that every verse in the Bible has but one meaning. Yeah. Um, every verse in the Bible only has one meaning. Now, many verses may have multiple possible applications. Uh, for example, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? Well, it means to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means. But we can apply that in any number of different ways. There's, you know, many different ways we can flesh it out, but it's only got one meaning. And so our task as readers and interpreters of Scripture is to get to the meaning of the text. Uh, That's what we want to do. And uh, what we want to get to is what we sometimes refer to as authorial intent. Mm -hmm. Now, it sounds real highfalutin, but all that means is what was the intent of the author? Right of that particular book or verse that we're looking at. What was his intent? What was the meaning there? Uh, what did the author intend? And uh, I tell people that if you come to an understanding of a particular verse of Scripture that would not have made sense to the original recipients, then you've got the wrong meaning. Hmm. Yep. Whatever interpretation, whatever meaning you come to that you think that verse means— uh, it, it would have had to have made sense to the original recipients. And if it would not have made sense to them, then you've got the meaning wrong. That's really good. Um, that's really uh, good. Yeah and, yeah, and that's such a problem. I It really grieves me in a lot of ways to see, I don't know if I want to use the word carelessness. You might have a different word that you would use, but cavalierness maybe is a word that we could say. People approaching the Bible and just interpreting it openly without any sort of thought, any sort of reverence, or even trembling before the Word of God, as Scripture says we should do. How do you see that issue in terms of people coming to the Bible and presuming to explain what it means, whether for their own lives or somebody else's lives, without even knowing what they're talking about and not really caring that much? Oh, exactly, Janet. I'm so glad you brought that up, because that is such a huge, huge issue when we're talking about interpreting the Bible, we're, we're talking about holy things here. We're talking about the Word of God. Yeah. And we are not at liberty to interpret Scripture however we want to interpret it. Now, if you want to do that with green eggs and ham or, you know, go, dog, go, <laughs> knock yourself out. Yeah. Uh, but we're, we're talking about Scripture here. This is the Word of God. Right. And so we're not at liberty to... to um, come up with any meaning that pleases us. I, I, if if you're ever in a Bible study class and the teacher says, what does this verse mean to you? Then you know you're in trouble. Yes. You know that person has no business doing what he's doing. It, it doesn't matter what the verse means to me. Yes. It doesn't matter what the verse means to you. What matters is, is what does it mean? And, and only, you know, it, it's only people that are, that have studied to show themselves approved, who should be teaching Scripture. And my wife brought this up to me a number of years ago, and I thought it was a really helpful illustration. It's always stuck with me. She said this. She basically said that in every area of life, we seek out the best. 
uh, we want the best dentist to fill our cavities. We want the best plumber to fi- fix our leaky sink. We want the best doctor to give us medical care. We want the best accountant to do our taxes. You know, in every area of life, we seek out people who are trained and proficient in knowledge in their field of expertise. So we seek the best in everything in life except when it comes to the one thing that is by far the most important aspect of our lives, the shepherding and nurturing of our eternal souls. Wow. And when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to preaching, ah, oh, anything will do. Yeah, he's. I like the way he talks. I like his smile. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, he's okay. He's fine. You know, he throws some Bible verses in there. It's like we, we're perfectly satisfied with mediocrity or even poor preaching, as long as it makes us feel good. And this is the one area in our lives that we should be by far the most careful because we're dealing with eternal matters here. Right. That's a very sobering thought. And I think your wife is right on the money about that, as are you, because how much more important is it that we get the most excellent teachers of the word and preachers of the word to instruct us in it, even in this area of hermeneutics, to come along and say, listen, congregation, it's important that you handle the word of God rightly and accurately because we're dealing with holy things here. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We are dealing with holy things, with eternal things. And as I said, if we understand Scripture wrongly, then we're, we're, our understanding of God will be wrong. And, and there is nothing that carries greater consequences than being wrong about our understanding of God. You're absolutely. totally right. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And we're going to dive into more instruction on how to do hermeneutics. Justin Peters is my guest. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. We'll come right back. Stay with us. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. We're partnering with Bible League International on Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. In many parts of countries like Kenya, Tanzania, and Mozambique, nine of 10 Christians are denied God's word by corrupt governments and majority religions. They've never been able to read 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Reading that promise of God means everything to you and me. And now it will mean so much to these Bible-less Christians in Africa when you respond. Here's Pastor Abel. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. $5 sends one Bible, $100 sends 20, and a limited time match will double your gift and help us meet our goal of sending 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Please call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there's an Open the Floodgates banner at JanetMefford.com. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 
per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families, offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. This is such an important subject we're discussing today. Hermeneutics, the method of interpreting the Bible to understand its meaning. It's so basic. And yet in our day where we're seeing so much of a spiritual downgrade in too many of our churches, what we have lost in great measure is this ability to interpret Scripture correctly and to understand what the passages mean, then going about the the, the task of figuring out how those verses apply to us. And oftentimes, if you've been in any kind of Bible study or Sunday school class where you have people going a little bit rogue, you've seen people saying, well, what does this verse mean to me? Or I think that this particular promise to Israel means God is going to do this in my life. And it's very careless at times and it's very serious. And as my guest, Justin Peters is putting it, we are dealing with the most high God here and we need to understand his word because there are terrible consequences if we handle it wrongly. Now, one of the things that you point out, Justin, is the way that we approach Bible interpretation. For example, you will have people who will take an allegorical interpretation of Scripture where you take something and you just turn it into an allegory, what this really means. I find the spiritual meaning in this, this kind of stuff. You advocate for this literal, grammatical, historical approach to Bible interpretation, and I agree with you 100%. Can you explain to people what that is exactly and how it differs from some of the other interpretive methods? Absolutely, Janet. So there's there's kind of two broad uh, approaches to hermeneutics. One is the allegorical approach that you mentioned. The other is the literal, grammatical, historical approach to which you and I would hold. Now, the allegorical approach, basically it takes clear statements of Scripture uh, that should be taken literally, but it allegorizes them. It ascribes to them a secondary meaning that is not found in the text, and the secondary meaning is completely subjective completely subjective to the interpreter. For example, uh, Adam and Eve, according to the allegorical approach of hermeneutics, it doesn't really matter if Adam and Eve were two real historical people. That's not the point, according to this method. The point is this morality tale that Adam and Eve tells. Uh, It's not really important if there was an actual flood that flooded the earth. It's not really important if uh, whether or not Jonah was actually swallowed by a big fish. Uh, and and some would go as far as to say, well, it's not really important whether or not Jesus was actually bodily raised from the dead. The, mm-hmm. the, the importance of these stories is this spiritual meaning that they kind of, uh, you know, that they portray. So uh, that's the allegorical approach, and that is the absolute wrong way to interpret scripture. Well, right, because if you if you begin to get into this idea that it doesn't matter whether or not Adam and Eve were literal human people who lived and died, then it doesn't really jibe in the New Testament to say that Christ is the second Adam. What does it matter? Exactly. You've completely gutted the gospel. And, you have. and that's why Genesis 1 and 2 uh, is so very important, all of scripture, but it's important to take a literal uh, interpretation to the first chapters of Genesis, because if you don't, 
then the entire gospel collapses like a house of cards. You're totally right. Uh, so, of course, we understand that the Bible has different genres of literature, and it's often been said, you know, you don't want to interpret poetry as narrative or wisdom literature as prophecy, these sorts of things. How do you guide the average layman through a hermeneutical approach in which those genres are taken into consideration so you don't end up misinterpreting scripture because, you know, as I was mentioning uh, not too long ago, when you see the Psalms talking about God with feathers and wings, we don't interpret him as a bird because that's not the point of the passage. But how do you navigate those genres when you're interpreting scripture? Yes, we need to follow uh, the literal, grammatical, historical approach to hermeneutics, to interpreting scripture. And, And what that means is, is you look at the text and you take the literal meaning of what it says, uh, unless what you're reading is clearly symbolic or clearly anthropomorphic. Now, that's another big word, but what anthropomorphic means is when we ascribe to God uh, human qualities that he doesn't necessarily have. And uh, you just named one, you know, when the Psalms describe God as having wings, he'll cover you with his feathers. It doesn't mean that God is a bird. When Jesus says, I am the door, uh, clearly that's symbolic. It doesn't, Jesus wasn't saying that I'm literally a piece of wood with hinges on it. <laughs> so there are, there are uh, portions of Scripture that are symbolic, but it's obvious that they are symbolic. It's clear that they are symbolic. And so you, you take a, a symbolic meaning to a symbolic text of Scripture. And that is still in keeping with the literal meaning. It's just the literal meaning of what is symbolic, if that if that makes sense. Yes, that makes total so, sense. Makes sense. Right. Yeah. So the literal, grammatical, uh, grammatical. We need to. It's it's very helpful oftentimes to look at the the grammar of the text. For example, uh, Greek verbs and Greek tenses, you know, can be very instructive. Now, obviously, not everybody knows Greek, but uh, there are a lot of tools in the tool shed, so to speak, that we can use, even for those of us who don't know the biblical languages, the original languages, to help us understand, okay, uh, what does this mean? Like Matthew 18, uh, whatever you bind on earth, not will be bound in heaven, but whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And so when you understand that tense there, it helps you to understand the meaning of what of what Jesus is saying, and yes. uh, so this literal approach to Scripture. Look at the, look at who wrote it. Who is the author of this? To whom was he writing? What was the historical context? Uh, for example, it helps very much to interpret First Corinthians if you understand the history of the Corinthian church, what was going on, uh, the reason that Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, all those issues help us to come to the authorial intent, the author's intent, Paul's intent of what he was saying. It's very, very helpful. It just when, it, when you understand these basics of hermeneutics, it will just open up a, a whole world of richness to, to plumb the depths of Scripture. And we, when we understand God's Word rightly, that is when we understand God rightly. Well, that's excellent. Yeah, and and as you say, before you ever sit down and begin to observe a passage and begin to consider some of the authorial intent, as you've said, and some of the other things that you've mentioned, 
it's very important to seek the aid of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a really important point for people to understand. It's not an intellectual exercise. We have the scriptures illuminated by the Holy Spirit, and we can have him illuminate the Holy Spirit because we are born of the Spirit of God. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? We just kind of look like, well, I have to figure it out and get my Bible dictionary and my commentaries, and by George, I'll unlock it. But without the Holy Spirit, we can't really understand the Bible fully. That's exactly right, Janet. Uh, you know, any lost person can pick up the Bible and understand some historical facts and things like that. But to understand Scripture in in a way in which it, it transforms our lives, that can only be done by the person who is in Christ, a regenerate, and is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And, mm-hmm. and you're exactly right. I, I teach this to people when I teach on hermeneutics. Don't neglect the the aid of the Holy Spirit when you come to his word. Uh, Psalm 119, verses 12 and 18, the psalmist says, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. That's a beautiful prayer mm-hmm. for us to pray. Lord, open our eyes. Yeah. Open my eyes. Help me to understand your word. Don't neglect that part of Bible study in your study. Right. So, we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. That That's hard work. Studying Scripture is hard work, but don't neglect the spiritual aspect of that hard work, and that is asking the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us to help us understand Scripture as we do our due diligence of studying. He will aid us in that. So important. Well, and I I think that you've said something very important in your seminar that when you are beginning to sit down with a text, let's say John chapter one from the Gospel of John, don't necessarily start with a commentary. Read the passage and ask some of these questions that you have already outlined. Who wrote it? To whom was it written? When was it written? Where was it written? For what purpose was it written? At what point do you bring in the commentary after you've thoroughly observed it and written down these questions and answers? Or how would you you know, do that process of observation followed by, well, what do the experts say on this passage? Exactly. Yeah. And, and this is how I prepare my own sermons and do my own uh, study. I, I look at, I don't begin with commentary. I just begin with an open Bible. That's what I begin with. I begin with praying what I, I just read from Psalm 119. Lord, help me to understand this. I'll read it. I'll read it again and again and again. Um, I, I'll, familiarize myself with what is going on, the context, what is in front of it, what's behind it. Just read it over and over and over. Have it in your mind. Saturate your mind with it. Kind of get the flow of the text. I'll take some notes, kind of uh, who is the subject here, what's what's going on, what's, is this, is this um, a command from Scripture? Am I reading a command or am I reading like historical narrative, like uh, much of the book of Acts is? And so uh, ask these questions, and I'll kind of do my own meditating, if you will. And I don't mean in a, in, a, in a mystical sense, but just studying that. And then I will go to the commentaries, and I'll go and see. I'll write my own observations down, my own thoughts down, and then I'll go to some commentaries, trusted commentaries of faithful men who have gone on before me, and they have looked at this same text, and I benefit from that. Um, you know, God does give the gift of teaching, and uh, and there are many men who have written commentaries, and and they're very helpful. And so it's it's very helpful to like look at what 
uh, you know, a Charles Spurgeon had to say about this text or uh, A.W. Pink or a John MacArthur or someone like that and see see the insights that these men have gleaned as well. And that will um, just enrich my study and preparation. Absolutely. We are talking to Justin Peters. You can check out his website, justinpeters.org. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Boy, you look at some of the polls right now about biblical illiteracy inside the church, and it becomes more and more obvious every day that we really do have a crisis of lack of hermeneutics in the church, lack of Bible study, lack of Bible reading. There's no doubt that we have a crisis when it comes to studying and understanding and meditating on and living out the Word of God. And we've got to return to that. It's absolutely vital as Christians that we are Bible students and that when we are reading our Bibles, we are sure to interpret interpret the Bible correctly. And we're talking with Justin Peters from Justin Peters Ministries about this literal grammatical historical approach to Bible interpretation that's so important. You know, something, Justin, that I think is really important also to point out is we learn, obviously, a lot of us who have studied the Reformation also have imbibed this principle that Scripture interprets Scripture. How does that play into the grammatical historical approach? Because this this really is, a, I think, a good way to be protected in some ways from bad interpretation. How do you put that practice, you know, put that into practice, this Scripture interprets Scripture principle? Right. And Scripture is its own best interpreter. And so if you come to a verse of Scripture that is um, unclear, then look at uh, the other texts that deal with the same thing, or maybe, maybe you're reading an Old Testament quotation that is, you know, quoted by a New Testament writer, and so... If you're not sure what it means, well, then go back to the Old Testament passage that he's quoting and read it in context. And uh, so let Scripture interpret Scripture. Another good example of this would be uh, James chapter 5, when James says, Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church, and the one who is sick uh, will will recover. The, if, it's, if he's committed any sins, they will be forgiven. And if you take that kind of uh, and isolate it, it might appear to be a blanket promise for guaranteed healing. Well, hmm. if you're sick, then call the elders of the church and you'll recover, bada boom, bada bing. Yeah. But, um, well, a couple of things. There's there's different ways of interpreting among you sick. That, that word in the Greek uh, could be rendered as a physical sickness or a spiritual weakness. But, but let Scripture interpret Scripture. By that I mean... Go through other parts of the Bible, and you'll find examples of faithful servants of God who were sick, and they were not healed. Right. Moses, Elijah, uh, died of a, of a sickness, or Elisha, I should say, died of an, of an illness in 2 Kings 13. Uh, David was sick. Job was sick. 
Uh, the Apostle Paul was sick. Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, he states very clearly, I had a bodily illness and apparently was never healed from it. Uh, Timothy was sick. Take a little wine for your stomach and your frequent ailments. So you find these other examples of faithful servants of God who were sick and apparently not healed. And so that lets us know that James chapter 5 cannot be a blanket promise for guaranteed healing as long as you pray for it. That's good. That's a good principle for letting Scripture interpret Scripture. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, and this gets into some of the pitfalls, which I want to talk about as much as we can as time allows for it. But for instance, when you're talking about the pitfall of isolationism, this is an important one, the practice of isolating a verse from its proper context in order to form or support a particular theological position. What would be an example of isolationism? Yeah, a great example of isolationism would be John 10, 27. This is a a verse that is almost always misused, and it is, my sheep hear my voice. Mm, And (laughs) the the shelves in in Christian bookstores practically sag under the weight of books written on how to hear the voice of God, you know, five steps hear the voice of God, Mm. and they all go to John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and and they'll say, oh, see you right there, my sheep, we're Christians, we're sheep. We're supposed to hear the voice of God, so we're supposed to be hearing God speak to us on a daily basis outside of Scripture in a still, small voice or a hunch or feeling, you know, and we just got to learn how to tune into the frequency of God's voice. Well, when you, when you look at John ten twenty seven, that's not at all what that's talking about. Uh, beginning of verse 26, Jesus says, you, speaking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So when you look at this in context, the meaning is very clear. It's not even hard. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand the meaning here. Jesus is talking about salvation, and that voice is not God telling you where to go to have lunch one day or to take a right turn instead of a left turn as you're driving down the road. That voice, the call of the shepherd, that's, that's the effectual call of the gospel. That's when we, before our conversion, as lost sheep, are out there minding our own business, grazing in a pasture of life with our heads down, but all of a sudden we hear a voice. We hear a call, and that is the shepherd, that is Jesus calling his sheep to himself in salvation. This is a picture of the new birth, and it is a beautiful, beautiful text of Scripture, beautiful text. It is. It is a terrible disservice to reduce it to something as menial as, oh, that's you know, still a small voice. That's God telling me where to go to have lunch today. Oh, boy. Or, what or, a great or, point. Or, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're totally right about that. And th- this kind of gets to another point that I wanted to get to with you because it bugs me so much. People who formulate doctrines out of one verse, I, we could probably do a whole show on that. But I was honing in in particular on Romans 16, 7, where it says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They're well known to the apostles, etc. Mm-hmm. People, who feminists and feminist sympathizers love this verse because they'll take Junia and they'll say Junia was a woman therefore we can have women pastors. There are entire ministries formulated around the person of Junia about whom we know pretty much nothing. There, there isn't even unanimity as I understand it as to the sex of Junia but we have feminists taking this one verse and saying see, 
see, we can have women pastors. I mean, that's not a proper interpretation of Scripture whatsoever. No, it's, it's absolutely not. You're exactly right, Jan. I'm so glad you brought up Junie in Romans 16, 7. Yeah, and, and as you said, there's some debate as to whether this was a man or a woman, because, and the, the difference actually comes down to where you put the accent mark in the Greek. So it could go either way. It could be a man or a woman, but it's not, it's not saying that Junia was an apostle. Uh, it is simply saying that Junia was, assuming she was a woman, um, was well known among or by the apostles. Like yes. the, the apostles, they took note of her. Like, wow, this is a faithful sister in Christ. <laughs> not saying she was an apostle at all. Yes. And so that you're exactly right. That is a classic example of bringing a feminist presupposition to a text, reading a meaning into a text that simply is not there to support your own preconceived theology. And that's the exact opposite way of the way we're supposed to read Scripture. Well, and what's really dangerous about it is we have so much Scripture that is clear as day about whether or not women can take leadership roles in the church. It's just, There's not even a hole in, in a slice of Swiss cheese, as it were, to squeeze through on the issue of whether or not women could be pastors or elders in the church. It's a resounding no. Read the rest of Scripture on this. When we go back to 1 Timothy 3 or Titus chapter 1, you have to be a husband of one wife. I, I know we're in weird LGBT times now, but you can't possibly come up with with that doctrine when you read the totality of Scripture. You would have to cherry-pick something and twist it in order to teach what they're teaching. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I think there's a thing out there called the Junior Project. Yes. And uh, that, that's what they try to do to it. Uh, they <laughs> they take this one this one brief reference and, and extrapolate from that their entire, you know, preconceived theology, and, and you cannot do that. This goes back to letting Scripture interpret Scripture. Right. You look, all of the disciples were men. All of the apostles were men. Every book in the Bible was written by a man. This was not a random flip of the coin thing here. Uh, it is God's ordained plan and design that men are to be the spiritual leaders in both the home and the church. Right. Uh, does not mean that men are superior and women are inferior. That in any way, in Galatians 3 verse 28, makes that abundantly clear. We are indwelt, and I tell people this all the time, my, my wife, I, even though God has ordained me to be the spiritual leader of the home, um, my wife, Kathy, is indwelt by the same Holy Spirit who indwells me, and I learn from her. But that is, that is different than Kathy taking the pulpit and preaching you know, on a Sunday morning and expositing scripture. She's not allowed to do that. That's right. That's right. Justin, we're going to pause for one more break. Justin Peters with us talking about the important issue of hermeneutics. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. We'll return after this. After taking the morning after pill, this mom immediately felt sick and nauseated as she tried to end her pregnancy. While searching for medical care, she found a preborn center where she hoped to rule out that she was pregnant. I had an ultrasound done right then and there. After hearing the baby's heartbeat, I instantly thanked God and said, may your will be done, Lord. I'm seven months pregnant now. I thank God every day for my little miracle. Preborn centers are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in America, introducing moms in crisis to the life growing inside of them and sharing the 
gospel in action. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. Will you join Preborn in the cause for life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. 855-402-BABY. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new health care program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the health care program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a health care sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. By the way, if you haven't done so already, I highly recommend you go to justinpeters.org and check out the great website for Justin Peters Ministries. Justin does so much wonderful work teaching the sufficiency of Scripture and exposing the prosperity gospel and talking about lots of other important issues in the church. He's one of the great ones out there. Justinpeters.org, you can check it out. And we're talking about hermeneutics this hour, kind of winding down our discussion. Justin, it goes fast when we're talking. But um, it it, yeah, it really does. When we're talking about some of the pitfalls of hermeneutics, another one I wanted to touch on, and there are many more that we could talk about, but culturalizing. This seems to be a particular temptation in our own day to take a text of scripture and interpret it in light of changing culture and mores. And all I could think of was homosexuality and social justice. Uh, Is that what you're seeing going on, this social justice or LGBT hermeneutic that is falsely applied to the word of God and twisting it beyond recognition? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The social justice movement has just been an absolute theological wrecking ball that has wreaked untold havoc and um, harm in the evangelical world. But that's exactly what they're doing. So so when it comes to issues like homosexuality, gay marriage, or even what we were just talking about, the biblical parameters for the roles of men and women, uh, they'll say, well, these texts that deal with that, you have to understand that they were they were just addressing issues in their day, but we have to evolve our understanding of Scripture because our society has evolved, and we're more enlightened now, <laughs> which is which is bar. Sure, I mean, right. <laughs> uh, we're you know we're so much more enlightened now, and so we have to interpret these passages, in, you know, in the in the more enlightened society in which we live, and and that's that's just garbage. Um, the biblical injunctions against homosexuality were not limited to the culture of the day. These are these are transcendent. Uh, you can't take what is said in Leviticus and and Romans one and First Corinthians six, all these texts that are crystal clear, and um, say, oh, well, that just was dealing with the culture of the day. And our, because our culture has changed now, then we can't understand those texts in the traditional way. No, that's not how you read scripture. Uh, biblical roles of men and women. 
uh, they try to do the same thing with that. But you can't do that either. Um, in fact, what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, uh, verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, and I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. And, and these these uh, social justice people will say, oh, well, you know, that was just Paul reflecting the culture of his day. It wasn't appropriate for women to to get up and do that, but our culture has changed now. Well, no, look at the next verse. In verse 13, Paul gives us a reason for this. He says, for, because it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Right. There was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And and even in the next verse, it connects that to childbearing. Uh, so, and childbearing rules out any time limitations on this because last I checked, even though we're 2,000 years later, uh, it's still women who do most of the childbearing. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so you just can't... Um, the, that That is the pitfall of culturalizing, reading the Bible through your cultural lens. And when you do that you always come to the wrong conclusion. Yeah, as I always say, the great thing about the Bible is it never evolves. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's that's comforting. But it, it, I think it, it's interesting, Justin, how this kind of intersects with how enamored we are in the church today with being culturally savvy and being culturally cool under the auspices of reaching the culture, which look at the church growth movement, that never works. Uh, but the more it seems that you do study the Bible and understand the meaning of the Bible, the more you understand we Christians really are not of this world because God's word goes up against the culture all the time. And that strikes me even, you know, I've been a Christian for many, many years. I'm continually struck when I read scripture. Wow, Lord, you are nothing like the rest of us and, and you are high and lifted up and you are holy and it just hits you afresh every time you go back to the Word of God. And we're missing that. I think the biblical illiteracy that we're seeing in the church, we're missing so much when we're not spending time in the Word. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We're not supposed to look like the world. We're supposed to look different. We're a peculiar people, the Bible says, as yep. Christians. We're, we're not supposed to. If, if your church looks like the world, then you need to find a new church. And I'm not advocating this kind of legalistic, well, men have to have the haircut a certain, you know, a certain length and all that kind of stuff. That, that gets into legalism. But but uh, if, if your church looks like the world and, and they have worldly entertainment and worldly music and uh, a worldly approach to sin, then then you need to get out of that church. You're Amen. not in a real church. You're not in a... You're not in a church, you're in a goat farm. Amen. (laughs) Right. You're right. That's a good description. You know, something that you have stressed before, Justin, and I wanted to just get your thoughts on this briefly. You've talked about the importance of men in the home, husbands and fathers in the home, teaching the Bible, obviously, to their families. And I know that that's a sore spot with many men because they say, I'm not really up to the task. But how does that duty of husbands and fathers intersect with the importance of being able to properly interpret the Bible? Oh, yeah. Well, you can't teach what you don't know, right? So it is incumbent upon men to, as the spiritual leaders in the home, to to read and study God's Word. Make it a a part of your daily discipline. Uh, And and I understand things come up, maybe you can't, you know, you have days here and there that you can't do it, but but make reading and studying the Word of God a a part of your daily life. Make it a priority. 
and read the Word of God to your families, to your wives, to your children. Men, um, men are given the solemn responsibility by God to be the spiritual leaders in the home. And it's not, you know, when I when I come to that, it is not like a power trip for me. Like, ha, 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 I'm the spiritual leader and my wife has to submit to me. Not at all. It terrifies me because of the weight of that task, the weight of that responsibility. And it is a very humbling thing. Um, so I encourage men, men, be the spiritual leader in your home. Read the Word of God with your families. Talk about it with them. Talk of the things of the Lord. When you, as God says in Deuteronomy 11, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you rise up, make make talking about the things of the Lord a regular part of your life, just as natural as talking about the weather or, you know, who won the ball game or whatever. We should be talking about the things of the Lord on a regular basis. And and tragically, what's happened is that so many professing Christian men have exported their spiritual responsibilities to the Sunday school teacher mm. or to the youth group leader. Right. And they think, well, my kids are getting everything they need in Sunday school. My teenagers get everything they need in the youth group. But they're not. It's, And I'm not against Sunday school. I'm not against those things. But the very best Sunday school teacher with the very best of intentions cannot do what God has designed men to do. Right. There's no there's no replacement for that. So it's men need to step up and be the spiritual leaders in their home. Amen. So in the final analysis, when we're talking about doing, doing hermeneutics, taking the passage of Scripture that you're studying, really reading it, studying it, asking all the requisite questions, and, and digging into the passage, I'm sure there are people who say, what are some good resources? First of all, a good Bible translation. Uh, we have d- different versions, of course, but would you have some particular recommendations on resources and Bible translations for people who really want to begin to study the Bible more deeply? Play. Absolutely. Um, let's start with Bible, because if, if you don't have a good sword, then uh, <laughs> then everything else is going to be dull. You need a good, sharp sword. By that, I mean you need a good Bible translation, and not all Bible translations are created equally. So what I commend people to do is, is get a literal Bible translation as opposed to a paraphrase. Good. Uh, a literal is a word-for-word interpretation interpretation, translation from the text. Uh, Paraphrase is more of a thought for thought. And uh, the NIV is a paraphrase. It's as literal of a paraphrase as you can get, but it's still a paraphrase. Right. So, um, you know, I'm I'm not one of these folks that thinks, you know, all NIVs ought to be burned, but the NIV is not, it's not my study Bible. I don't go to it because it's more of a thought for thought. And then you get further down the line and get to things like the message. We could do a whole program on the message, but (laughs) the message is garbage. It is terrible. It's garbage. Yeah. Yeah, There's more theological content in in green eggs and ham than there is the message. Oh my. So so I stick with a, what's called a formal translation, a word for word. And within that spectrum, you would have things like the English standard version, the new American standard Bible, uh, the King James, a little dated, you know, but uh, with the, the archaic language, and also now the Legacy Standard Bible. Oh, yes. Is, you know what? I'm, is, yeah, that is a great translation as well, and I wish we had more time. We'll have to do this again. Justin Peters, you can check out his ministry at justinpeters.org. Justin, thank you so much for being here. It was just wonderful to have you and get your good instruction on the important issue of hermeneutics. 
Thank you so much, Janet. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for being with us. God bless you. JustinPeters.org is the website. Thanks for being with us on Janet Mefford Today. We'll see you next time. This hour of Janet Mefford Today has been brought to you by Bible League International. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.